to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Welcome back to the show. So in the spirit of talking about homebrew, over the past couple episodes, we've talked about homebrew competitions uh, with Michelle Wonder. We've talked about homebrew con uh, with Julia Hers. And the homebrew conference is coming up at the end of the month uh, in San Diego, uh, the 22nd through the 24th. We wanted to continue on that homebrew trend here, and we're welcoming to the show Andy Oatman. He is the founder and head brewer at Fishbowl Brewing Collective. So when I heard about this, Julia Hers mentioned this to me. It's a fascinating concept of a brewing collective. Um, so he's here to tell us the story and kind of the ins and outs of what they do. But before we dive into all that, first and foremost, Andy, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Thanks for reaching out and I'm excited to join join the show. Awesome. So before we tell this really exciting story of Fishbowl Brewing Collective, I want listeners to know a little bit about you. You are a longtime home brewer, very passionate, a member of the American uh, Homebrew Association. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, how you got started in homebrewing, what you love about it? Sure, sure. Um, well, I, uh, first of all, I, I grew up on a small farm in um, Southwest Michigan, um, near Grand Rapids. And um, so there's, a, I've always sort of been influenced by beer. We have in Grand Rapids, there's something like 60 breweries within the oh, metro yeah. area. Amazing beer. Um, and when I was in college, I used to go to Founders Brewing Company, which was tiny at the time. Now they're massive. They're all yeah. over the place. Um, so they inspired me and several of my friends to get engaged and involved in, in home brewing. Um, and then in um, 2009, I moved to Washington, D.C. to start graduate school um, in the environmental field. And when I moved here, I realized that there was... Um, my purchasing power was not as good, not as good <laughs> for good beer and um, compared to the Midwest. And so I, I decided to, to really um, kind of dive into homebrewing because I thought that would be a cool way to um, explore beer, try to make some, you know, interesting things that, that are, they're good and, and, and try to um, maybe save money, but it's not also the case. <laughs> um <laughs> But, I think the original thought with homebrewing always is, oh, I'll make cheap beer. And then it turns into this all-consuming hobby. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. But it it's a mirage in the desert when it comes to, like, trying to save money. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's super fun and it's a good way to engage with other people that are either artsy or, like, sciencey or foodie type people. So mm -hmm. it's always, it always makes for a good icebreaker I found yeah so you're uh, in grad school you're starting your kind of homebrew journey um mm -hmm. and you caught the bug I guess instantly and it became you know something you were really 
excited and passionate about um did you get involved in like the dc homebrew club or you know you kind of kept did you enter in any homebrew competitions like kind of how did your journey progress yeah so early on i was super busy i was working and i was in school Mm -hmm. and so i just um purchased a few kits um and i i would purchase them from the local homebrew store i think in falls church uh outside of dc um and some stuff online and i would just do the extract kits very simple um and i would have some of my grad school friends help me in the kitchen um and really i didn't have the time and attention span to progress outside of those more simple kits and it's still fun and we all drink the beer and at one point i actually um i did research for my graduate program in costa rica spent um, almost a year down there and came back for an event in DC and picked up some beer that I had bottled right before I left and brought it back down to Costa Rica. And we did a fun, like homebrew tasting, um, down there with a bunch of our graduate student friends, um, oh, nice. at the university down there. So that was kind of a fun way to spread homebrew internationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. And yeah, then, so, yeah. yeah, so you you're continuing to kind of progress through through that homebrew journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And as I sort of wrapped up grad school um, and found uh, a job locally here in D.C. working on mm-hmm. in in the water environment field, um, I've always been inspired by working in water, and that's I. Um, studied it specifically in grad school and turns out there's a pretty good connection to beer as well. So looking into water quality issues and for my day job, I work in stormwater, stormwater management, urban stormwater stuff. So um, it's a passion of mine. And I've also kind of also considered as a long-term goal at some point to maybe brew beer with stormwater filtered it, obviously. Yeah, and I know there are a couple of breweries that have dabbled in that um, over throughout the country. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's like never Google something that you think is your idea, because <laughs> <laughs> oftentimes it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, someone else came up with that too. Um, what would that? I mean, what would that even entail? I mean, is it as far as like, and we can go on this little rabbit hole here. What? Sure. Like, is it? Is it? Is it? And this is where my mind goes, not knowing much about water. I mean, water collection, but is it kind of similar to like a, like a rain bucket that you'd have in your yard and then filtered and then you could, I mean, it could be, it could be, okay. I mean, you know, brewing requires a lot of water for prep cleaning, for actually putting in the beer for you know, for mashing a lot of evaporation happens. So there's a ton of water that gets involved in, in beer and water manage like in, in dc for example 25 percent of the energy use for the entire district of columbia is mm-hmm. water is dc water pumping is moving either clean water to your tap or dirty water from your from your drains so it's a oh, huge wow. energy user um and by being able to collect your stormwater, which rains in dc quite a bit um you get about 43 inches a year 
and you if you could localize it and then use that water right on site you'd have to filter it obviously and you'd have to adjust the ph and you may have to adjust your salts to make sure it's where you want it for your beer yeah um it requires time and energy and, and and thought and you know focus but to be able to do that and then reduce the the total energy use for the district would be or for wherever you live i think is like a cool idea decentralizing the water system I think it also adds resiliency to to urban spaces um, by being able to collect that water on site. So, yes, you could use like a cistern or like a food grade, some kind of food grade water collection tank um, okay. for that. Okay, we'll have to we'll ha we'll have to we'll have to do like a whole episode around this. I'm fascinated, but <laughs> I mean, there's lots of like <laughs> precaution that needs to be addressed. So that's just like a very surface level idea. Mm. But that yeah that that would be yeah that would be very interesting okay well let's get back to fishbowl burton collective sure. um tangents and rabbit holes are definitely encouraged on Burton, <laughs> just so you know <laughs> so Thanks. so how how did you start to think of the how did you start to think of this kind of brewery co-op idea and and how did this kind of start to evolve yeah so i think like um, perhaps other homebrewers have experienced this, but as you start to dive into the just the rabbit hole of brewing, it's like, oh, I'd like to build this hop back, or I'd like to I'd like to add this filter. Oh, I need uh, uh, let's add a pump. Oh, if I could get a tank that's a little bit bigger, then I can now I can do ten gallons instead of five. Well, I, I definitely went down that road um, in my home here. And I got to the point where I was outgrowing my my little row house apartment, and it was starting to be a, a strain on where I live and all my equipment and decided that I wanted to rent a small space in the neighborhood in Capitol Hill and and pursue a little bit larger batches and try out some different ideas. Um, so I moved into this is maybe eight years ago. I moved um, the all my brewing equipment into one stall of a two stall garage and brewed a few batches. At that point, I think it was up to 20 gallon batches. And um, I kind of realized that I had not only outgrown my space, but now I had outgrown my labor um, abilities. So I put a, a little message out on the local DC homebrewers uh, Facebook page and asked if other folks would be interested in kind of going in on uh, the brewing process with me and sharing some of the beer. And I, I got a pretty strong response right away. Um, ended up with like maybe eight to 10 people interested and about five to six people met with me. We had a meeting mm -hmm. um, and we talked about it and we said, okay, well, what are, what are you all interested in? What kind of beer? Like what, how would this fit well for the group? And we sort of decided to try uh, brewing once a month in this space. And then I, I asked people to sort of provide a little bit of funding to help me pay the rent for the garage and for ingredients. And, and then also help with the actual brewing. And we tried a few different iterations and we're, mm -hmm. we're still kind of adapting and changing as we go. Um, but that grew to us increasing the volume 
a couple times in our membership to closer to 10 within about three years. Um, and we ended up renting the other side of the garage. So then we have a two-stall garage. <laughs> uh, and then around COVID, around 2020, the owner of the home um, decided they wanted to sell their home. And we got, uh, after it was about, at that point, it had been about five years of brewing and mm -hmm. we ended up um, having to leave and I got kind of stuck. I, it's sort of hard to find someone that's going to rent a garage to you to homebrew in. It's not really an easy thing to search for <laughs> oh. when, when looking for a rental place. Um, a lot of car places, you can rent a car parking spot, but um, I got very lucky and a former uh, colleague of mine from graduate school and former director of sustainability for American University, um, Chris O'Brien. I was talking to him um, about this issue and he was like, dude, like use my garage. That's perfect. Let's, you know, let's move it there. And I was like, are you sure? Cause this is a slippery slope, you know, like <laughs> you gotta know what you're getting into here, buddy. And, uh, and he was like, yes, let's do it. Um, <laughs> which is really exciting because he, he wrote a book about beer and he traveled around Africa and studied beer and brewed himself in Africa for a while. Um, so it was a good fit. And um, we ended up um, taking his two and two plus stall garage two and change stall garage and um, redoing the floors, painting the walls, redoing um, plumbing and really upgrading it and making it into a cool like co-op brewing space. And that's where our brewery is now. Nice. So I just want people to understand kind of the logistics of it. So you have, you'd say, you know, a handful of members who essentially pay dues and they are able to use the space or is there kind of like a, a schedule or, you know, kind of what is the, what is the experience like? So, we when we first started we were we wanted we wanted to leave that open as a model like come and brew your beer whenever you want use the equipment you know it's on you to maintain it put it back where it goes um but we eventually molded toward or moved towards um kind of doing group brewing sessions so as a collective we currently are at um about 15 to 18 members mm -hmm. what we do is we we ask people to pay a certain amount per year one time annual amount to be a member and that goes towards ingredients materials um uh homebrew association dues like yeah. different different things and then we ask that they show up to at least help with three of six total brewing sessions that we do as part of the collective we do six okay. a year, um, and we we do use a lot of doodle polls. We do polling where we try to figure out what members are interested in brewing. So we what styles, um, and I try to you know make a a nice in depth poll together so I can get collective feedback. That's uh, like a big goal of ours is to like get feedback, make sure everybody's engaged and involved in the process. Um, and then we work on workout dates to come and do the brewing session. Mm -hmm. And I set up sh like a poll for shifts and people sign up for three hour shifts. 
either the night before to do prep, which is like milling the grain, filtering water, adding salts, preheating, things like that. And then brew day, we set up four three-hour shifts so people can come and, and help. And we encourage them to bring friends or family if they're in town. Yeah. And we have some beers that we, we have a little kegerator in the, in the garage, so we try to keep three or four beers on tap. Um, and then we send them home with beer after so their it, shift. Yeah. So it feels, it still feels like a, you know, like a fun brew day in somebody's garage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's just, it's, it's, it's appealing because we've been doing it for long enough that we've got a pretty good grasp on process. And um, we've also got, we end up with like, we do currently like 50 to 60 gallon batches. Oh, so wow. we end up with like a significant amount of volume, you know, and, and that way we can, you know, we all split it as a group mm -hmm. and, and some people prefer certain styles. So they may, and we don't, like keep tabs too much on how much whatever people don't need to take like X amount of gallons. Like we say roughly, you know, take two, three, four, six packs, Yeah. you know, when you're, when you're here and, and we try to keep four or five different beers um, packaged at once so that people can kind of like go shopping at the brew at the, at the home brewery, <laughs> oh, nice. pick up a couple different varieties and take it home and share it with family or friends or coworkers or whatever. Nice. And as far as like the level of expertise, I mean, I'm assuming that if you are committing to, you know, being part of a collective and doing a certain number of brews per year, especially on that scale, you have a certain level of experience. Um, but have you found that, you know, maybe there are some members who, you know, have much more experience and they're able to, you know, teach um, some people who are who are just kind of branching out from you know a, a five gallon system in their house. Absolutely, uh, actually, it's kind of interesting. There's like two branches of this. Mm -hmm. One one branch would be where we live. There's lots of interesting people engaged in beer, interested in beer, and so we've got like a microbiologist. We have a couple of different chemists. We have you know, folks that are into communications um, or engineering, um, science, water science. There's there's like different people with their professional backgrounds that are interested in beer. Yeah. Um, that translates very well to beer, it sounds like. Totally does. And, and I find that those folks definitely within those different like cool profession, professional backgrounds that I think drives the interest in beer. There's mm -hmm. a wide range of experience. Um, there's a, a few members that have joined that have zero, zero experience. They've never brewed a, a drop of beer in their whole life, oh. but they like beer. Um, and we've met them through friends or word of mouth. And they've been, you know, I, they show up and I say, Go scrub this pot, you know, <laughs> Go fill that bucket up, you know, it, it, it it's, and people seem, you know, totally content with that. Um, yeah. I have some, some members bring their kids, you know, like you got a 10 year old that's nothing to do, bring them over and they can scrub a pot, you know. <laughs> I have very fond memories of capping homebrew bottles as a child. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's much, many things that are more satisfying 
than like capping a bottle and stacking up the beers and like that is just to me yeah yeah it's it's just like i don't know maybe the equivalent of like canning peaches <laughs> and putting it up <laughs> on the jar it's like feels like stability or i don't know yeah put them in the vault no it's like checking you know checking off something on your list it's a very satisfying For satisfying sure. experience so this isn't so i, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent here something that you had talked about you know what we were talking pre-show this is not your first uh kind of cooperative that you have started you did one with hops correct oh uh, yeah yeah please tell um, this full story because i love it so much <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> so so before i started this co-op i you know I, again i work in the environmental field i grew up on a farm and I had been reading a lot about hops. I got pretty interested in them. I'm studying what kind of soil they take, what kind of like nutrients they need and what climates are best. And I happen to be at the National Arboretum and they have a plant sale every spring, uh, which I recommend if anyone's in the area. It's really a lot of plant nerds go there and there's really high quality material. And the National Arboretum had some cascade hop plants available. And so I bought a couple, I put them in my backyard and I got pretty geeked out about it. And, and I mm -hmm. started doing a deep, yeah. Started doing a deeper dive and I was like, huh, hops grow really well in urban spaces. They don't take a lot of soil space on the ground yep. and they will find the sun. Like, like the hops I have in my backyard are planted in the shade under my deck and they just crawl up the side of the deck and they, you know they work their way yeah. where the sun is they're hardy super hardy and like happy yeah, <laughs> once they're established so i had this idea that i was at the time just home brewing at my house but i was like you know hops are kind of pricey and it would be kind of a cool thing to get hops growing around some of my friends houses or my neighbors houses and so I went a little off the deep end. I like found a, a veteran-owned uh, hop farm in Pennsylvania, called the guy up, and I asked him if I could come out and buy some rhizomes from him. And mm -hmm. he was like, no problem. I got up there, and of course, you bring your homebrew when you go. And I got oh, yeah. there, and there were like all these biker guys that were up there, but they also brought their homebrew. <laughs> it was like a little jamboree. It's kind of cool. That's awesome. But I got there and he was like, there they are. And I was like, where? He's like, they're in the field. You have to dig them up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was turned into a whole day event, you know, yeah. sampling beers and digging up rhizomes. It was awesome. It was really cool. Nice. So I got about a hundred rhizomes from him. I brought them back to DC in my backyard. I put them in little pots, got them started. And then I started like talking to friends who I knew had houses or like yards. And I started uh, cruising around. Some of, some of them I biked to their house and planted. Some of them I had to drive. But in the end, I ended up planting about 75 hops, hop plant, individual hop plants at about 35 houses in D.C. And a couple in Maryland and Virginia. Nice. Um, and so for, for letting you plant in their yards, you said, hey, let me plant these hops and I'll I'll bring you back beer at the end of the season. Or that was yeah. the agreement. 
And they were supposed yeah, the, to take, they're supposed to take care of the hops, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. So I spent a lot of time like developing this beautiful PDF with the background on the history of hops, how to maintain them, how to take care of them if there's any issues, how to train them up on, you know, different lattice or trellising, how to harvest them, how to dry them, how to package them and how to bring them back to me. Um, and, oh, oh, and by the way, I, I came up with this, the, yeah, the idea was it'd be like a collective. And so I came up with a kind of a fun name. I called it the cooperative. Um, <laughs> I see what you did came, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up, uh, and I made a cool like Google map with little hop images at, for each home in the, in in our cooperative, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, but yeah, so I developed this like PDF, like very kind of a hand-holding sort of document. And at, at the end of the day, a lot of people just called me and they said, okay, come on, get your hops whenever you want. And I ended up, it ended up being a lot of logistic challenges. Gotcha. Like I spread myself way too thin on the project. Um, so now I kind of have a very ch chill look at that. The project, many of the people still have the hops in their yard and mm -hmm. I just let them kind of maintain them. And if they have hops at the end of the year, I definitely accept them and we put them in our beer, nice. um, but I don't push people to do anything particularly to a, to the T because yeah. it's just not, that's just not going to happen. That's what I learned. Um, yeah. That's and maybe fair. someday if we start a, a real commercial brewery, I think I would, I would do something like that where I would have a hop rhizome giveaway or something, and then have folks bring back their hops and do like a community driven um, brewing session. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. Like have some, you know, fresh hop or wet hop kind of brew day or yeah. something like that. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. So getting back to the Fishbowl Brewing Collective, um, do you all have a brew day coming up soon? Um, yes, we do. Uh, we have a brew day tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a wit beer, like a <laughs> Hogarden style wit beer. Um, nice. And pretty excited we're going to be using some grains of paradise which i rarely use but i I've, I've tried them once before and they turned out to be a nice little adjunct um we're doing a 60 gallon batch and so actually i just i did some i like to like kind of look up the history of each beer style mm -hmm. and i didn't actually know a ton about wit beers I know a lot about wheat beers wheat style beers vice beers but a little bit of history that I found out was there was like this apparently some an orphan whose name was Klaus who like okay. lived in Hogarden, Belgium. And and in this this orphan Klaus was like living in this um yeah, like mo monastery or something, working with some brewers and kind of developed the idea of putting unfermented wheat, a significant amount of unfermented wheat into the batch. Um, I couldn't tell if it was like a mistake or intentional mm -hmm. based on what I was reading, but it was like, that's like the origin of, of, of Hogarth and it's using an extreme amount of unfermented wheat, creating this like kind of great body and mouth feel. Yeah. That soft, um, sort of white color body and mouth feel kind of cloudy. Um, and so 
we're kind of toying with names right now. And one name we came up with is possibly stay classy, you know, like, uh, I don't know, we, a lot of different, a lot of different options. Um, but yeah, so we're doing this, we're going to do a 60 gallon batch on Saturday and I'm actually going tonight to go mill grain and filter our water and add our salts and, um, prep up the pumps and clean the chiller, sanitize it. It's a lot of do some preheating. Yeah. Make sure that our glycol chiller is in good shape. So. Yeah. A lot of work, but I, um, I appreciate, um, kind of how organized you have this all. And I think, you know, that's, that's a, that's a huge part of the, the success of the experience is when people show up, you have a clear idea of, you know, who needs to do what, um, which obviously requires more work on your end. But I think in the end, you're, you're creating a really fun environment for people. For sure. And, you know, like I was talking earlier, people have different skill sets mm -hmm. and they also have different interests. So like there are people who are more interested in flavor profiles or they're interested in like the mechanic side like how do we make this chiller more efficient or the packaging side like oh what if we tried building you know what if we tried making this flow faster how do we do that without causing more dissolved oxygen to get in the beer or so it's interesting when you meet these different folks of different passions so i try to try to match their skill set with their interests yeah um ultimately it comes down to what needs to be done you know in that moment mm -hmm. um, but it is so interesting and it's also so one of the really valuable things about having a collective is we ask i ask people for a lot of feedback um and because i've often tried beers the whole process is interesting like Maybe there's a style that ends up being voted that is like the most popular that I definitely wouldn't choose, like personally. And then mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe I don't know about it, about it, or I've had a bad experience with that style. And I'm in as a group, you just say, okay, let's let's jump in, and ends up being amazing, you know, like after the fact, or ends up being like real tasty, uh, and a cool experience. Also end up getting like good diverse feedback from people. Um, and we take notes and incorporate that in our recipes. And we do have several recipes that we go back to and, and brew every year, which is kind of fun to continue awesome. to evolve and, and make them better. That's awesome. We have about, I'm looking at our dashboard. We have about, we have 79 recipes so far that we've brewed with, with the group in the last like eight, nine years. Wow. And are you about approximately how many members do you currently have? Uh, we have about, I'd say about eight, 15 to 18. Mm -hmm. um, some folks, because of work or their schedules, um, are sometimes out of the country for a while, um, but they'll still pay dues. Um, so I try to, I try to keep an open mind and be a little bit flexible. I think that's also like the key to a co-op or a, a collective is making yeah, especially it in dc oh my gosh yeah um so so some folks maybe maybe they have to travel for six months and they can only make it to one brew session and then maybe yeah. the next six months they show up five times you know <laughs> so uh, 
I, I will say, although we set it to be three times per year, most members, almost, I would say nearly all members show up like five or six times a year. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, we just, I just wanted to have a low, um, just a low threshold for people, but in the end, people really enjoy it. They seem to enjoy it and want to come back and they usually bring friends. Um, and that's really how we've met a lot of our members. We've actually, it's just word of mouth. Yeah. And I yeah. think also it's a, it, it's, it's a really interesting model in that, you know, and I, I've seen people who are really passionate about homebrewing and, you know, they, they started with a one gallon kit that they bought off Amazon and, and then it mm -hmm. grows into this massive obsession. And next thing you know, you have a dedicated, you know, yeast fridge in your garage, you know, like, <laughs> it's like to, to have a space with, um, you know, equipment and, and things like that. And it makes it more accessible for people who, you know, might be living, you know, for years and years and years, I lived in apartments and there was no way mm -hmm. in the world I could even, you know, accommodate a, a five gallon kit. So, you know, to yeah. still be able to practice those skills and, you know, you know, enjoy the hobby. Um, it right. makes sense to have, you know, more of a collective, um, so Andy, thank you so much for taking the time and answering all my questions and agreeing to go on rabbit holes and tangents with me. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for reaching out. Um, this has been fun. It's the first time I've ever done this. <laughs> well, you did a great job and uh, good luck on your brew day tomorrow. Uh, thank you. Listeners, this has been another episode of Beer Me. Uh, please reach out if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at Beer Me Radio on Instagram or beermeradio at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, give all the stars anywhere you get podcasts, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. <laughs>